Before we get started today, I wanted to let you know about my new songwriting instruction video course called Tools Not Rules. I designed this two and a half hour, six part video course to help songwriters finish more songs and become more confident and more capable in their songwriting and creativity. The course is $97, but for the next couple of months, listeners of this podcast can get 30% off that price by going to rosskingmusic.com slash unfinished30. That's rosskingmusic.com slash unfinished30. Now let's jump into the podcast. Hey, this is Ross King, and you're listening to Unfinished, a limited series podcast where I take you song by song through the writing and recording process of my newest record, also called Unfinished. For me, the process of making a record is emotional and thrilling and exhausting and all kinds of other things, and I look forward to taking you inside and sharing with you some of the stories of the journey. Thanks for joining me. Let's dive in. I once saw this interview with John Favreau, who's a director. He directed Iron Man and several other great movies, but they were talking to him about the the live-action Jungle Book movie that he did, and they were asking him about working on a green screen for the majority of, of the movie, because it's one of those movies where because there's so much CGI that a lot of the movie is filmed kind of falsely against a green screen. And they were saying, you know, what's that like? Is that difficult? And I can't remember what his exact quote was, but he said something like, well, a lot of great art is kind of nothing until all of a sudden it's everything or something like that. Believe in the Desert was kind of like that. I want to believe in the desert Want to believe by the red Cause I've been washed in the water When I'm writing for other artists, I almost always co-write. And so there's a built-in editing, curating, quality control because there's more than one person there to kind of say, hey, what if we change this? Hey, I'm not sure if that works. you know. But when I write by myself, which is what I do a lot when I'm writing stuff for my own artistry, my own records, when I write by myself, I don't have that. And so sometimes I'll use Ben and Mark for that or I'll use other friends to kind of say, is this any good? But for Believe in the Desert, I knew I had this really cool chorus from the very beginning. It felt like an interesting chorus, but then I didn't know what to do with it. And it took me, I don't know, probably a year or more from when I first got the chorus to when I finished it. And so a bunch of my life happened in that year. Things I learned, things that were traumatic or painful, things that maybe shifted my perspective or gave me new empathy or things I got angry about or sad about or excited about or whatever, all that stuff happened in that course of that year. So I just kept adding and taking away and adding and taking away things. The song started from this sermon by a pastor in Portland named John Mark Comer. He's at a church called Bridgetown Church, and you should listen to his his sermons. They're excellent. But one of his sermons um, is called The Dark Night of the Soul. It's a two-part sermon series on this concept, The Dark Night of the Soul, which is kind of a hundred years old idea. The idea is that God can take you through a season where he doesn't really let you feel his presence as clearly as you would like, because he's trying to wean you off of maybe a circumstantial or emotionally based relationship with him. 
So it's like if we start to believe that we can kind of dial in our relationship with God in a formulaic way, you know, that's not true relationship. That's not spontaneous and responsive and interactive. It's kind of transactional, right? So the idea in Dark Night of the Soul, this concept is that is that God says, if all you're wanting is to feel me, y- your faith isn't robust and resilient enough to make it through difficult times. So I'm going to pull away a sense of my felt presence so that you learn to love me and believe me and trust me, even when you can't feel me. I know it probably sounds cruel. And I don't know how to get around that. It doesn't feel cruel to me because I do believe it. it's a training for something better, for something stronger to be revealed in our faith. There's this part of the of, of this sermon where John Mark Comer says, don't doubt in the desert what God said by the river. And I just was like, oh, you know, that's that's a song. And so pretty quickly, I was singing something like this, you know. I want to believe in the desert, what I believe by the riverside. And I wrote that fairly quickly, and, and the rest of the chorus probably came pretty quickly after that. But there was a lot more in the sermon that... I wanted to digest. The sermon starts with him reading Psalm 42, as the deer, you know, pants for water, so my soul longs for you, O God. When I was growing up, there was a song called As a Deer. The message of the song, the the emotion of the song was more like joyful worship, you know, like, oh, just as just like a deer likes water and loves to drink it in. God, I just want to drink you in. And the actual psalm isn't like that. The picture in the psalm is of this deer who is wandering through a desert, and there's a stream up ahead. So the deer you know, rushes to the stream to get a drink, and when, when they arrive, there's no water in the stream. It's, it's dry. And the deep disappointment of that. A few days ago, my wife and I went on a hike. Tennessee's got all kinds of great hiking uh, opportunities, and we went, on, we went on a little hike to a state park we'd never been to, and there was uh, a map that showed th- there was a trail by the river, and we could just walk this hiking trail for a couple of miles alongside a river. And so we followed that map, and when we got there, the river was dry, and it was just jarring, kind of, because it's we weren't thirsty or hoping to drink from it, but we expected to see a river there, and when we got there, it's like, hey, the map's lying to us, you know? <laughs> And the psalm has a similar vibe, except it's more dramatic because this deer is thirsty. Gets to the stream, no water, and suddenly it's like, why, God? And so if you continue to read the psalm after that first verse, you know, I'll just read you a little bit of this. It says, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? And then this, my tears have been my food day and night. Well, all day long, people say to me, where is your God? So this deer is like, all I have to drink is my own tears. And everyone's kind of mocking me saying, oh, I thought, I thought you had a God that was you know, near to you and provided for you. Where is he now? It's really a, like a psalm of desperation and disappointment and frustration and even doubt. Later on in the psalm, in verse 6, it says, I am deeply depressed, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. So it's this person who's like depressed at their lack of connection with God and all they have 
to rescue them is the remembrance of something that God did. And at the risk of being too honest, I can just tell you I've had some situations in my life where I felt like God led me, led our family, led my career or whatever to a certain spot that I thought would be a river, and I got there and there was no water. And I felt a little bit tricked, and I know God doesn't trick us, but that's how it feels. And I think that's how the deer sort of feels in this picture. And maybe the only thing uh, sustaining us in those times is the Ebenezer, this Second Samuel 7 idea that there's a monument in my heart that I can look to to say, okay, 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 I know God did something last time, so I think he'll do something again. He hasn't quit on me, and I believe him because he's done it before. I guess he'll do it again. But that's not an easy thing. It's a very, very hard, hard thing. So I had that chorus, and I didn't know what to do with it, and I, and I wrote a bunch of stuff as an attempt to finish it and just never could feel super happy about it. And we were in this season that I hope is over, but we were in a season where I felt like we were being disappointed a lot. And that word disappointment doesn't have a lot of drama attached to it. So when someone says, I'm so disappointed, it's not like someone's rushing to their aid and making casseroles for them and staying by their bedside vigilantly to make sure that they're safe, right? Disappointment is not a dramatic word. But what's interesting about disappointment is a series of disappointments compounding upon each other, maybe with a lack of victories to balance them out, can erode and weaken faith, like severely. And I think because it's not a dramatic word, people aren't likely to notice you and help you. So you can be disappointed and then disappointed again and disappointed again. And if all those things are kind of small or maybe they aren't super public or they aren't things that people would notice, you can just be wasting away in your faith from just a lot of disappointment. And you can even kind of feel some shame because you can think, why am I falling and failing here? Why is my faith so fragile that just a series of disappointments you know, hurts me? And you can look around and be like, oh, that person's been through harder things than I am, and their faith is stronger. And it's just a really interesting concept, this idea of disappointment. And so I really wanted to dig into that because we were, we were facing a lot of disappointment. And a lot of it wasn't that dramatic, but it was just, it was just kind of persistent. And so one day I had this major disappointment, you know, that just felt like another uh, chisel against the wood, you know. I just felt like I was getting chipped away. So I walked over to the piano and I was really, I was really down and felt really vulnerable, almost like disappointment had me where it wanted me. And so I pretty quickly just wrote this. Disappointment is a lot more dangerous than I ever knew It only takes a little bit of it for me to quit believing the truth Because I, I literally was at this place where I wasn't believing the truth, right? And so I, I just started working on that, and that became the verse. And I wanted to just speak super vulnerably about what happened when I faced that disappointment. So it's like... And all of a sudden, I'm ignoring every story in my journey. How you've always been there for me and never left me hungry. 
but but my desire. I just want to be consistently with you and never distant. Be a living definition of faithful and abiding love. That took a little while, but but that kind of became the way I approached that verse was, let me just be honest about the fact that disappointment, not some major trauma, not some huge faith crisis, but just a, a series of disappointments had dangerously eroded my actual belief in what's true. And I got to I gotta deal with that. Is a lot more dangerous than I ever knew. It only takes a little bit of it for me to quit believing the truth. And all of a sudden I'm ignoring every story. I don't think it'll surprise anyone to hear me say that I really want to be honest and authentic as much as I can be in my music, even maybe sometimes to a fault, because I feel like my particular uh, calling is to pull back the veil on some of that and try to speak as plainly and as relatably as I can. And so that second verse, I wanted to start by saying something like, I'm tired of pretending that I'm crushing it, you know? So it's, I can't pretend I'm on a mountain when I'm living down deep in a hole. Even the light of the world could stumble through a dark night of the soul. Which is just the title of the sermon. And all of that is just me trying to invite people to feel what they feel, but not give up. You know, that's, that's the strange little line I'm walking, is that I think sometimes when I write these kinds of songs, I am just honest enough to invite the doubters in. But then I'm trying to speak hopefully about what I know to be true. You know, it's kind of a, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief kind of thing. And so that's a lot of what this song, it sort of walks that line. And there's another, another song on my, on my record called Golden, and it starts with this line, I think it's too soon to write this. I'm still in the grip of the crisis. And that, that line became sort of a theme for most of the record, which was this idea that, you know, Christians love to tell a testimony about their life after they're done struggling or to tell the testimony as if they're done struggling. You know, no one gets up in front of the church and says, hey, I'm still addicted to hard drugs, but isn't God great? You know, we don't do that. We wait till we're done with the addiction. We wait till we're out of prison. You know, we wait till we have fixed whatever's broken to tell people about that process. And I just... I disagree with that. I understand why we do that, but I disagree with it, um, with that practice and with that idea. And so I wanted my songs to be quietly warring against that trend and saying, now let's just talk about how hard things are right now. And let's also say, but I'm pretty sure they're going to get better. And I still believe the stuff that I, that I believe, even when it's hard to believe it. So yeah, that's kind of the point of the song is staying in my belief irrespective of how difficult the circumstances are. And instead of saying, I do believe in the desert, what I believe by the riverside, I say, I want to, because the fact is I don't always. But hopefully the writing of the song for me and the listening of the song for you can be a small part of the healing and growing process. In the desert, what I believe by the riverside. I can't pretend I'm on a mountain when I'm down deep in a hole. Even the light of the world. 
So I've talked a little bit about how much I love and trust Ben Backus and Mark Campbell, who produced this record. And I've told you that I send them these little demos of just me on the acoustic of me on on the piano playing through something. And then they they get just that empty thing most of the time. And they build something and send me back little drafts saying, how about this? How about this? How about this? And, and we'll mold it as we go. And sometimes what, what, what they send back will be so shocking to me and outside of what I expected that I'll have to take a day and kind of, you know, process it. Sometimes I'll push back. Sometimes I'll, I'll just let it, I'll just sit with it. Sometimes I'll, it'll be exactly what I thought it would be, but it's always great and always interesting. And this was the only song on the record where what they sent back first was something I didn't care for. The record's full of a lot of more upbeat, up-tempo, kind of snarky, quirky stuff. And I think maybe Ben might have thought, hey, this is a good chance to go more thoughtful and more serious and more sober. And so he he approached the song with something a lot more like a thoughtful orchestral thing. A faithful and abiding love, I want to believe in the desert, or to believe by the riverside. Cause I've been washed in the water that keeps on flowing even when I run dry I wanna raise my Ebenezer and remember every day of my life That I can believe in the desert, what I believe by the riverside I can't pretend I'm on a mountain when I'm living down deep in a hole even the light of the world could stumble through a dark night of the soul. I just thought, no, no, this thing's got teeth. It's got attitude. It's got a little bit of swagger. So I pushed back. And so there was like a two-day text battle where we just went back and forth with little jokes and gifts and stuff saying, nope, this isn't right, and kind of mocking each other and goofing off. And it was mostly harmless, but it, it did take us a while to – to figure it out. And now what I love about it is it's kind of a mixture. It's kind of an amalgam of all the different sorts of ways that the three of us saw it. It's got some beauty and some thoughtfulness, but it's quirky and has these orchestral elements mixed in with this kind of rootsy vibe, which to me made it really, really fun. I'll let uh, Mark give you his thoughts. So for Believe in the Desert, from the start, we knew we wanted the song and the lyrics to stand on the production's shoulders rather than the production, making a big statement, kind of like things I'm afraid of or something like that. But even there, when you're starting from scratch in such a collaborative process, which is how we do albums with Ross, there's a bunch of different ways that can still go. So with this one, we explored all the different ideas, swinging the pendulum of should this be just a piano vocal to a minimal pop situation, all the way to like a big cinematic orchestration. And with the way Ben and I work together, a lot of times it's more show than tell. So we workshop ideas in the sessions and we save new versions and explore under the banner of finding what's right for the song. And what ended up being cool about this one is it probably had the most potentially walkable pass forward at the beginning. And I think where it landed has a piece of each of those. So you hear an intimate upright piano performance as a backbone but you've also got Ben playing layers and layers of cellos and horns. And also there's guitars and synths and drums coming in there too.
And I'm not sure we would have landed exactly where we did on this one if we had had a concrete plan from the start. And I really like that. And I'm grateful to Ross for curating a process of exploration and time so that together we can find something that we didn't know we were looking for yet. That's the best part of producing music to me. To find something we didn't know we were looking for yet. I love that. And I love that Mark, when he talks about this process, says things like carefully curated process of exploration instead of three knuckleheads sending passive-aggressive gifts back and forth to each other to try to get our way and then finally stumbling into something beautiful. But honestly, that's kind of the point of the song. Yes, I am a deer wandering around in a desert, occasionally getting really upset and depressed and filled with despair because I get to a river where I hope to drink and there's no water. But I'm also a child of a king who has better things for me than what I want for myself and has more vision than I do and has more kindness than I even know to ask for. And I want to be the kind of person that can sustain and abide even when it looks like the whole thing's falling apart. This song is a bunch of piles of things that don't really go together and somehow came together. It's, hey, I want to have a consistent faith that's strong through all the circumstances. And it's also me trying to highlight the dangerous power of disappointment and how it almost crushed my faith. And it's also probably me just wanting to say the word Ebenezer in a song because I love the concept. And then the production is partly Ben's deep love of strings and orchestral music and his understanding that there's a kind of an intangible emotional journey those kinds of sounds can take you on. And it's partly my desire to give my songs a sense of attitude and confidence and, you know, like a lighthearted quirkiness. And it's partly Mark's almost kind of supernatural ability to see the merits of lots of perspectives. And he takes Ben's perspective and mine, and he finds this totally surprising but absolutely right way to bring all that together. You know, it's sort of like what John Favreau said. It was, it was kind of a lot of nothing until it was everything. And this song is just me trying to bring all those things into some kind of artistic focus. Because I was for a few years in a dark night of the soul. For me, it was a season of deep depression and compounding disappointment. And in seasons like that, my life feels like a big pile of conflicting ideas and inconsistencies. And it's very tempting in those seasons to just give up, to just say, well, this one dry river must mean all the rivers are dry. I might as well quit looking. But for me, and I hope this is true for you, something bigger has a hold of me deep down. I've kind of got a, to whom shall I go? Like Peter stuck down in me. I'll end this whole thing by reading the second verse because I really feel like it encapsulates my whole view of this struggle and of my hope. It says, I can't pretend I'm on a mountain when I'm living down deep in a hole. 
Even the light of the world can stumble through a dark night of the soul. And it would be easy to give up and be a victim of my suffering, to hear the lies and just agree that you're not enough for me. But the spirit that raised you from the dead is in my veins and in my chest, and it's so strong. When I want to let go, it holds on. Say and believe in the desert, or I believe by the riverside. Cause I've been washed in the water that keeps on flowing even when I run dry. I wanna raise my Ebenezer and remember every day of my life that I can believe in the desert, but I believe by the riverside. I've been washed in the water that keeps on flowing when I'm dry And I want to raise my Ebenezer and remember every day of my life That I can believe in the desert, what I believe by the riverside Say